0: You're listening to the teaching of Calvary Paris. For more information, go to www.calvaryparis.com. So we're looking at this doctrine of the immutability of God in the Scriptures, and the immutability of God simply is speaking of His unchanging character. The nature of God, as such, is that He does not change his mind, but I'm asking the question because it would appear through the two verses that we just read that he does. In, in, in verse 11 of chapter 15, it seemed that God wants to reverse his decision, but how can God regret his own decision, he's the one who made Saul the king, when other passages like 1 Samuel 15, 29 there say that God is not a man, that he should relent or change his decision. At face value, the text would seem to imply to us that God changed his mind about his decision. There are at least 34 other places in the Scriptures, in the Old Testament, where it seems that God changes his mind. In fact, it even uses language that would lead us to believe God changed his mind, or he was sorry about something that he did. One of the most quoted or referenced by critics of the Bible is found in Exodus chapter 32. Moses was on Mount Sinai with God, receiving the Ten Commandments. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, the rest of the Israelites were worshiping an idol, a golden calf that they had made with their own hands. And when Moses, or when God told Moses to go down to them, he told Moses, Hey, listen, I've had it up to here with the Israelites. And I'm going to destroy them. And I'm going to make a new nation from you and your descendants. And Moses, when he heard this, he falls on his face before God and he begins to intercede. And he says, God, no, you can't do that. God, to do that would be to go against your own name. And he's interceding on behalf of the sinful people. And in Exodus 32, 14, we read, So the Lord relented from the harm which he said he would do to his people. Again, this is a scripture that seems to imply that God has changed his mind. But Exodus 32, 14, there as you see, it it seems to say that God changed his mind. But how does that fit together, right? With other passages which explicitly tell us that God does not change his mind. For example, Malachi chapter 3 and verse 6 tells us this, For I am the Lord, I do not change, therefore you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. And by the way, guys, if you want to follow along on the outline, you can jot some of these scriptures down on there, because these are doctrinal truths. In other words, this is doctrinal truth about the, in, the unchanging nature of God. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 17 and 18 also tells us, thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise, the immutability, there's that word again, of His counsel confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things, there's that word again, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. That word immutable in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 17 and 18, that word immutable means irreversible, unchallengeable and unchangeable. When we're talking about God's immutability, we're talking about something that does not reverse directions. It is not able to be challenged, and it is not changeable. Notice how those two texts state to us that God doesn't change. His counsel is immutable. And and, and so if God does change his mind, or, you know, When we read scriptures like what we're reading here today, we have to ask that question. Well, does he or doesn't he? On the one hand, we see at least 34 times in the Old Testament where it seems he does. But on the other hand, the Bible says God cannot change. So how do we reconcile these two seemingly opposite positions? Well, we first need to notice that God is eternal and therefore is outside of time. I'm going to give you three reasons this morning. Three reasons why God does not change His mind. Why it's impossible for God to change His mind. That first one, right there in front of you, God is eternal and therefore is outside. And that immutability is the unchanging nature of God. Anything or anyone who exists in time follows a chronological timeline. For example... Before I was born, my mother asked God to bless her with a son. After I was born, she asked if he would take me back. Okay? Before my 16th birthday, I thought that working for my own paycheck would be cool. After my 17th birthday, I was over it. Right? Before my wedding day, I thought that I knew. I thought that I knew my bride. After the honeymoon, I realized I needed to go back to school, right? I needed to go back. I needed to learn. I needed to change my mind about marriage and learn. Those are some examples of how we as human beings who exist within the framework of time, we change our minds. There's a before and there's an after because we exist within that chronological framework called time, However, God does not. God exists outside of time. John chapter 17 verse 5 tells us, And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Notice that Jesus is talking about his state, his his God state before he was incarnated. And he says, this is before the world even existed, before time even began. In order for this world to exist, guys, there has to be time, space, and matter. And Jesus is saying right here, before time, space, and matter, we were together, Father. And we were in that, glory. I was in that glorified state. He also says in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9, he says, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling? not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, notice, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. God is God because He existed before time began. God is not in time. Therefore, there can be no series of before and afters in God. There is no before and after in God because he exists outside of the framework of time. Now, I can tell as I'm looking out that I'm blowing some of your minds right now, huh? You know, it's hard to think about. And, and, and that's that's just truth. I mean, the, the reality is we have a finite mind. All we know is within the framework of time. It's hard for us to imagine, <laughs> or to understand a God that exists outside of that framework. But listen, if God is not in time, and therefore does not experience before and after, then it is impossible for God to change His mind. Because changing your mind requires that you are in a series of events with befores and afters. That's one reason that we understand why God does not change His mind. The second reason is that God is perfect and does not need anything. Okay, God is absolutely perfect. He doesn't need to add anything to himself, and he cannot lose anything. Let me explain. If God were less than perfect, he would not be God. Consider that for a moment. If God was not perfect, he could not be God. But the Bible points out the glorious perfection of God. All throughout the scriptures, the Bible tells us he is perfect in love, perfect in holiness, perfect in justice, perfect in mercy, perfect in all of his attributes and ways. That's what makes him God. But let's think about God's perfect state and what that might mean if he were to change his mind. To change your mind means that you become different means that you go from a better state to a worse state because of your change of mind, or you go from a worse state to a better state because of the change of mind. For example, I mentioned before that I got married, I thought that marriage was going to be easy. I thought that I knew everything there was to know about my bride. But after the honeymoon, I changed my mind. But I also had to change my ways, okay? I had to change my ways. I started out as a bad husband. I became a worse husband, okay? Because I was trying to fix everything and control everything. But then it's only been in the last few years that I've been upgraded to bad again, okay? I'm a bad husband again, but I'm hoping that if I keep changing, I'm gonna become an average husband soon. But you see, with God... He always is, always has been, always will be perfect. It is actually impossible for him to go from a worse state to a better one. Why? Because if it was he was in a worse state, he would not be perfect, right? It's also impossible for him to go from a better state or a good state to an even better one. Because he's already perfect. He doesn't need anything. So he does not need to change his mind to become better. And if God were to lose anything... We know that would no longer make him perfect, so it's impossible. He cannot change for the worse. Otherwise, he wouldn't be God. So we can safely say here that because God is always perfect, does not need anything, does not, he will not change his mind. I'm sorry, he does not change his mind. Now, the third reason that God does not change his mind is because God is omniscient or all-knowing. That's a fancy word for he knows everything. God knows all things that happen. Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. God sees it all. He knows it all. We also know from Matthew chapter 10, verse 29 through 30. This is doctrine right here, guys. And are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin, and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Some more, some less, right? But God knows how many hairs you have. Even if you shave the follicles, he knows how many follicles you have. It's amazing. God knows weird stuff about us. But, but this should comfort us because it helps us to understand God knows all things. He knows all things that will happen in the future. That's future knowledge. God also knows all things that could happen. That's potential knowledge. That blows my mind. God knows everything that could potentially happen. Wow. Wow. But he also knows all things that would happen based on specific circumstances involving specific persons. That's called hypothetical knowledge or middle knowledge, if you will. So he knows future knowledge. He knows potential knowledge. He knows hypothetical knowledge. How do we know that he knows hypothetical knowledge or middle knowledge? Let me demonstrate to you from the Scriptures. 1 Samuel chapter 23 Verse 10 through 12. We read, Then David said, O Lord God of Israel, your servant has certainly heard that Saul seeks to come to Calah to destroy the city for my sake. So that's what we know. Then David asked a hypothetical question. He says, Will the men of Calah deliver me into his hands? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord God of Israel, I pray tell your servant. Notice that David is asking questions about things that have not happened. He's asking for hypothetical knowledge here. And the Lord said, he will come down. God knew. Then David said, will the men of Caleb deliver me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, they will deliver you. Now, why do we know that this is hypothetical knowledge? Because it never actually happened. David listened to God God said, this will happen because I know the circumstances and I know these specific people that are in these circumstances. Here's what they will do. And because of what he says there, David takes his counsel and says, all right, we're out of here. They pack up their things and they leave. Guess what? Saul never came down. And the men of Calah never delivered David to Saul. But God knew that that would have happened. So that's amazing. Uh, Your mind should be being blown right now. This is who God is. This is the God that we serve. This is why it's possible to have foreknowledge and, 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 and to know all things the way that God knows them. Secondly, we see that God knows all thoughts of every person. God knows all the thoughts of every single person in the universe. Jeremiah chapter 17 Verse 9 and 10 says that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? In other words, sometimes we don't even know the depth of wickedness in our own hearts. We don't even realize how how wicked we are. But then the Lord says in verse 10, I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind. Even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. That tells us, guys, that even though you might not even know your own heart, and even though you're able to hide your motives and your intentions from other people, you can never hide them from God. God knows all thoughts of every person. Not only that, God knows the future. We've already talked about that. I'm not going to dwell too much on that. If you want to jot down Psalm 139, verses 1 through 6, that would be a doctrinal text that backs up the fact that God knows the future before it happens. He knows your thoughts and words, it says, from afar off. Also, uh, um, you could look at the book of Revelation. <laughs> you could look at the book of Ma- uh, chapter Ma- Matthew chapter 24. God knows the future. Not going to go too much into that, but fourthly, God cannot learn anything new, and this is something that's important for us to understand. God doesn't learn new things; he already knows it. Ever, he already knows it all. That's what omniscient means. Now, Jesus learned obedience, we read in the scriptures, through suffering, but that was the human part of Jesus that was learning that obedience. The divine part of Jesus already knew all things, okay? So we have to understand that, that in the incarnation, when Jesus was God-man, that the human part of Jesus was learning, okay, was able to learn, because he was also in time, right? He became incarnated, he took on flesh, became like us, okay? So that's, that's a whole other study in itself, though. So let's talk about how God cannot learn anything. The Scripture tells us in Psalm 147, 5, Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding is infinite. Infinite. There is no end to it. There's no beginning to it. He knows all. His understanding is, every, is infinite. Romans 11, verse 33 and thir- through 36 says, Oh, the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has become His counselor? Or who has first given to Him and it shall be repaid to Him? For of Him and through Him and to Him are all things to whom be glory forever. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. This is our God. A God who has depths of riches and infinite understanding his knowledge is without beginning or end so as you can see god cannot change his mind simply because he already knows all things all potential outcomes and all hypothetical knowledge because he knows in advance what will happen he cannot have a change in his mind because he already knew what would happen Let's apply this to the situation here in 1 Samuel chapter 15. We now realize that God didn't regret his decision to make Saul king, but rather he is expressing sorrow. Sorrow at the fact that Saul has chosen to forsake God. That's what God is expressing when he says, I regret, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king. What he's doing is he's expressing emotional pain. That Saul has chosen to walk away from him. You see, God has not changed. But Saul had changed. Saul's position had changed. In Exodus chapter 32, when God relented from destroying Israel, we realize it wasn't because God changed his mind, but rather it was because the circumstances had changed. Namely, that Moses had cried out for mercy over them. Moses had begun to intercede and plead for mercy over the people of Israel and changing their circumstances. God didn't change his mind. The circumstances changed. Israel went from being under God's wrath to being under the mercy of God because of the intercession of Moses. What does that tell you and me about prayer? That should encourage us. That should encourage us because as you and I are interceding for the people in our lives that we want to see saved, God is listening to our prayers. And he can change those circumstances. He's all powerful and able to do great and mighty things. And so the circumstances change there. And and so God did not destroy his people because of Moses' intercession. When Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose from the grave, the Bible teaches us that he ascended into heaven where he sits at the right hand of God and intercedes for you and for me. We've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness and under the wrath of God to the grace of God, the mercy of God, because Jesus interceded for us. So, number two this morning, if God doesn't change his mind, then how are we to understand these scriptures? Well, there's a couple of easy ways. The first reason is something called anthropomorphism. Okay, that is, a, that is simply a literary term, a literary style of writing in which you use man-centered descriptive words to describe a situation. For example, the Bible uses anthropomorphism or man-centered descriptive words to describe God on several occasions. In the Psalms, we read about God snorting through his nostrils. But does God have nostrils? No, he doesn't. He's spirit. God is spirit. He doesn't have a body like you and me. He's everywhere at once. He's all present. So he's not confined to a physical body. So when we read about that, that's a man-centered description of how God works an anthropomorphism. In the same way, what we see in 1 Samuel is a a human way of describing God's actions. Bible passages that seem to say that God changes His mind need to be understood as representing our human perspective. From God's point of view, however, He doesn't change His mind because He already knows all things. A, a, A way to illustrate this might be like this. If I'm standing on my street in front of my house and my house is on my left, I would say, hey, my house is on my left-hand side as I'm facing north. But then if I were to turn my back and suddenly the house goes on my right-hand side, then I would say, hey, my house is on my right-hand side, but the house didn't move, did it? No, I just turned around. That's what the Bible does when it describes God and seemingly changing his mind. It's not that God has changed. God doesn't change. It's that the circumstances in the story have changed. And because human beings are writing about it, we're writing about it from our perspective. Okay. Second reason, the rule of faith. This is how we're to understand these kind of passages. The rule of faith is the number one and most important rule of interpreting the Bible. For those of you that are Bible students and you like to read your Bible, listen, you will always interpret Scripture using other Scripture passages. In other words, you never take one Scripture and pull it out of the Bible and say, okay, this is the this is my life uh, verse and this is how I'm going to live based only upon this Scripture. No, we have to use other Scriptures in the Bible to help us understand what that one uh, verse is saying to us. So as you can see from what we studied today, we must look at the Bible within its whole context, okay? We have to understand that that's what helps us to understand difficult passages like this, where it seems that God changed his mind. We realize, oh wait, God is immutable. His counsel is irreversible, so he doesn't change his mind. The circumstances are what changes. That's why I'm always harping on you guys to read your Bibles. We should be reading our Bibles and praying every single day as Christians. Because it's through a whole study of God's Word, it's through taking in the whole counsel of the Bible that we grow to understand the complete picture of who God is. When all we do is is get the Bible a little bit on Sundays and a little bit maybe on Wednesdays, but I know that's not the case for most of us because there's way less people here on Wednesday nights than there is on Sunday nights or on Sunday mornings. But listen, if all you're getting out of the word of God is, is an hour on a Sunday morning, you're not gonna know much about God, are you? <laughs> you're gonna know this much about who our God is. I give an example of that today in, our, in my message. The fact that we've pulled verses from all over, Old Testament and New, that lay down doctrinal truth about the immutability of God. The only reason we can do that is because we have to read the whole counsel of God. So what's the application for our lives today? Well, we could apply that. We can read our Bibles. But we need to understand something. We need to understand that in our world today, this is highly applicable. What are the moral issues that we're facing in our day? We're facing... Divorce, we're facing adultery, we're facing pornography, destroying the church from the inside, we're facing sex outside of marriage, where your average Christian doesn't really hold to too much of a different stance or belief than the world does when it comes to sexual uh, immorality. We're dealing with issues of homosexuality. Issues of transgenderism, abortion, capital punishment, drug abuse, the push to legalize marijuana spreading throughout the United States, coming soon to a state near you, guaranteed. What does that mean? Suddenly once they legalize marijuana, are we all going to go out and puff, puff, give? Are we all going to suddenly begin to smoke and, and and just love it? Hey, it's legal, man. Why not? This is why this is relevant to us today. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change His mind. If God tells us something is wrong in the Old Testament, and He backs it up and tells us it's wrong again in the New Testament then here in 2019, God doesn't suddenly change his mind and say, well, you know what? Everybody out there is doing it. And there's a lot of money to be made, by the way, on the side. And you know what? If, if you're against all of this, you're going to get shut down professionally. You're going to be persecuted for your beliefs. You know what? We're going to go ahead and ease up on this, church. And well, I'm going to change my mind and allow this to be okay now. This is why... I'm studying this with you this morning. I want you to know that God does not change his mind. We will face persecution in this world simply because we do not fall in line with the culture. We need to remember what Jesus has said. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 10, Jesus told us, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those. Guys, we're going to face persecution when we begin to take a stand for what is right. Perhaps this message this morning is a source of comfort for some of you. You've already been taking a stand. You've already been speaking out. You've already put your professional career on the line by saying, you know what, I'm not going to go along with that agenda. I disagree. And this morning, this message comforts you because you realize you're not on the wrong side of history. You're on God's side. You're on God's side. Perhaps for others, this message is something that you have learned from today. And now you're going, okay, I need to apply this in my life. I didn't realize that all of those things that God said were wrong in the scriptures. It's because they're tied into his moral character. And his moral character doesn't change. So God is not going to say that one thing is wrong in the Old Testament and then suddenly change his mind later on. We see this happening today. We see it happening in the Catholic Church, who's changed their stance on capital punishment. They rewrote the church catechism. We see this happening in the Mormon Church, where the president, I'm sorry, the Church of the Latter-day Saints, whose president has now said, you know what? We were wrong all along about using that term Mormons. We're not going to use that word anymore to describe us. But that's not the only thing they've changed. If you study their history, they've, they've, they've changed all kinds of things in their doctrine. So we can immediately look at that and we say, okay, there's something off there. There's something not right because we know that God does not change. Okay, We've got Christian evangelical churches that are changing their stance on issues of our day, ethical, moral issues of our day. And the reason they're saying it is because, well, God didn't ever really say this, or that was back then, and this is now, we've evolved, which is in itself not a very Christian worldview, if you get my meaning. So so listen, guys, if God doesn't change his mind about these things, then what about my stance on these cultural and social issues of our day? Are you being tempted to change your mind and to go along with the pressure? Young people here in church this morning, you face a constant pressure through your peers, through social media, through all of the things that are being taught to you, uh, that, that information is being bombarded at you that is backed by a worldview that is often against the God of the Bible, and the truth principles that he has established. But knowing that God does not change, listen, that can help you to stand strong in your faith. When your peers are asking you questions, hey, how come you're not doing this? How come you're not doing that? You can say, hey, I'm just following Jesus. And Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I want to be on his side. See, this message I'm giving you today is useless unless we resolve to live out our beliefs in the midst of a world that is growing increasingly wicked. Jesus told us we're supposed to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth. But how can we be the salt of the earth if we ourselves lose our flavor and we just go with the flow? Hey, I don't want to take a stand for this, man. I know I'm going to get shot down. Or man, everybody's going to make fun of me when I let them know that this is how I'm living my life. Or when I don't participate in that and everybody wants to know why, I don't want to stand and give an answer for what I believe in. Guys, if we're not living this out, we're not doing what a true follower of Jesus Christ does. Now I want to challenge us today as I wrap this up to think Didn't Jesus say, love the Lord your God with all your mind? Yeah, he said heart, soul, and strength too, but he also said mind. So I'm challenging you guys to use your minds today. Don't just take everything at face value. Don't just say, well, so and so in my Sunday school class back when said that was wrong, so I guess that's what I believe. No. We need to love the Lord our God with our minds. And that means we need to be able to think. We need to be able to give a reason to the world around us when they ask us why we aren't living like they are. And we can tell them, listen, I'm following the teachings of Jesus Christ. I'm living my life to please him. And they, and when when they say to you, they say, well, hey, that's great, but I know plenty of other Christians who are doing these things. They're having sex outside of marriage. They're living a party lifestyle. They're, they're living a gay lifestyle or supporting abortion politics. Man, they're Christians too. And you can tell them, hey, that's between them and their God. I'm going to have to answer to God for those things that I know the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches what is wrong and right in all places, in all time, and for all people. Those are absolute truths. And the reason I know God hasn't changed his position on those things is because God is not in time. He doesn't exist in time like you and I do. He's outside of time. Secondly, he's perfect. He's not going to change his position on things because he learned something new. He already knows it all. He's perfect. He doesn't lack anything. Thirdly, he's omniscient. He knows everything. He knows future Potential knowledge and hypothetical knowledge. He knows everything. And he doesn't change his mind because he doesn't need to. That's why I believe what I believe about these issues. These issues are tied into God's unchanging nature. This doctrine, though, is also a comfort for sinners like me. Because when I realize that once I have trusted in Jesus Christ... (laughs) Once I have said, Lord, I'm a sinner, I need you. Once we have made that decision to put our faith in Christ Jesus, you know what that means? It means he's never going to let you go. It means that he loves you and he will never change towards you. He will fulfill towards you all of his promises because he does not change. He does not relent. He loves you. And so that's the beauty. As long as we are fulfilling our end of the, 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 the covenant, which is simply to believe, simply to trust in Jesus. As we do that, he's going to take care of us. He's going to teach us. He's going to show us, hey, this isn't the best thing for you. Oh, man, are you sure, Lord? Yeah, I'm sure. This is going to, this is going to hurt you. This is going to hurt your family. This is going to hurt you. And, and, and you're going to begin to get a bad taste in your mouth. Oh, man. This used to be so fun, but now I don't like it anymore. I'm not going to do this anymore. Or at least I'm going to try not to. And you may struggle and you may fall in sin, but listen, God will never give up on you. Because as you're trusting in him, he's giving you all of his promises, all of his word. He cannot lie. He cannot change towards you. He loves you. He sees you in Christ. And he will never give up on you. Amen? It's good news. He's not even against those that are in the world. He wants to save them. How do we know this to be true? The Bible tells us that when Jesus and his disciples were out preaching the gospel one day, they came to a town in Samaria. And as they were going through Samaria, they needed to stop for the night and get some rest. But the Samaritans, they said, hey, you're going to Jerusalem. We don't like Jews. And so you're not allowed to stay here. And they kicked him out. And, and it says right in that moment that two of Jesus' disciples, James and John, they were like, what? God, do you want us to call down thunder and lightning on them right now and just consume them? You want us to call down fire from heaven? We'll do it, Lord. And Jesus looked at him and he said, hey, 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 you don't know what spirit you're from. You don't know what spirit you're of. I didn't come so that I could destroy people. I came to save them. That's Jesus Christ's heart for the world around us. And so we need to ask ourselves, is that my heart? Is, that, is it my heart, first of all, that, that I would surrender my life to Jesus? And then secondly, is it my heart that I would then go and take the truth and share the, not be afraid to share the truth and, and love the Lord with my mind and be able to give an exam, or an answer to people that have a question for me? Guys, challenge you guys this morning to do that. Let's pray.